series we've been in, Red Letter Christians. We've been looking at conversations that Christ wants to have with us from John's Gospel. And so I wanted to just start with this picture. Uh, thanks, Daniel. Anybody uh, know what that's a picture about? Yeah? Some of you may have seen the movie. It's from a movie, Into the Wild. It's a book that was written by uh, John uh, Cracker. Uh, He writes this book chronicling the tragic and true story of Christopher McCandless. This was a guy who finished university, graduated with honours, but felt that there was no purpose and meaning in his life. He refused to forgive his parents for his upbringing, and that created a real bitter root in his life. And so shortly after graduating, he gave all of his money away, $24,000 to charity. He got in his car and he took off without telling anybody. Then he abandoned his car, and for the next two years, he travelled across the United States, finally arriving in the Alaskan wilderness. It was there that he seemed to enjoy the isolation of being alone for a little while. But after the experience of a few months, he started to suffer from acute loneliness. He accidentally uh, stayed too long in the wilderness. If you've seen the movie, he wasn't much of a hunter. He stayed too long in the wilderness and the, uh, the torrent of the river, it was impossible for him to cross back into civilization. And he had to stay in this bus all the way through the winter. The uh, animals became scarce and he started to eat of these berries that he found. And he began to uh, ingest these toxic berries that eventually led to his death. His final words were in the margin of a book from Dr. Zhivago. He said this, happiness only real when shared. He died unhappy, isolated and alone. This young 24-year-old man, he inscribed these final words. And so it turned out that only a life similar to the life of those around us, merging it without a ripple, is genuine life. And that all unshared happiness is not happiness. And this was the most vexing of all. Church, I want you to know that God wants us to be one, but he doesn't want us to be alone. All the way back at the very beginning of the Bible, God said it is not good for man to be alone. And so the title of today's message is How to Live in Community. It's important for us in the church to be unified in what we believe. And so we're looking at John chapter 17 today as we've moved through this series. And in verses 20 to 23, Jesus said in read. My prayer is not for them alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. And you remember that the whole purpose of John's gospel is written so that they might believe that all of them might be one. 
Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. So we know it's the Passover evening. We know that Jesus has just celebrated the, uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper with his disciples. He's left the upper room. He's gone down the Kidron Valley. He's made his way under the, uh, the moonlight of the Passover uh, through the vineyard. And he's heading off uh, towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's teaching his disciples as he walks along. And then suddenly he stops. And it's almost like the conversation changes in direction. I imagine it would have taken the disciples a moment to sort of get their heads around, what's going on now? And Jesus enters into this prayer with his heavenly Father. It's his final words. If you knew that you were going to depart the planet tonight, what would be your final prayer? We know that prayer is critical to the Christian life, don't we? Yeah, We know that it's almost like the oxygen that we breathe and the, and the food that we eat. What would be your prayer? What about the uh, guy who uh, prayed, Lord, so far today I've done all right. I haven't been grumpy, I haven't been angry, I haven't been nasty with anyone. I haven't been greedy, I haven't been selfish, I haven't been mean. But a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to open my eyes and I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. It's true, isn't it? You know, Jesus, he prayed this prayer. The dying and departed words of a a rabbi or a, a prophet, they're important in the community life in order to leave this instruction for people to know the example that he sets. So this is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus, yeah? 19 in the scriptures that we have of Jesus praying to the Father. This is the longest in two aspects. Number one, it's the longest in terms of words, 486 words, but it's also the longest in time, in duration. This prayer that he prayed 2,000 years ago is still being answered today in disciples' lives as you sit here this morning. In fact, he said make the followers one and he emphasised it on four different occasions. Such is the importance of the church in the world being one. It's easy to divide the prayer up if you've read the prayer before. I think the first five verses, it's all about Jesus praying for himself, that he would be glorified. You know, sometimes we can feel that's a little selfish praying for ourselves, but uh, it's important that you do pray for yourself. Every Sunday morning before I get up on the stage, I pray for myself. I pray that through the words that I speak, the anointing that God gives me, that people would be able to receive that and that God would be glorified. Then he moves into the next 14 verses and he prays there for his disciples. He prays that they would be fortified and that they would be sanctified. And then he finishes the prayer up from verses 20 through to 25 that all believers throughout all ages until Jesus Christ comes again would be unified. It's a big prayer. I actually read uh, one commentator 
and he said that uh, just to give one message from Jesus' prayer, we might know it as the Lord's Prayer, it would be like being asked to empty the Atlantic Ocean with a bucket in just 30 minutes. That's the depth that is in this prayer. So today I'm just going to pick out a few verses and we're going to look at three purposes for Jesus praying for our protection, for our proclamation and for our praise. You know, I think left to our own devices, we don't naturally gravitate towards unity. Would that be a a fair statement? I think the default setting of our lives is disunity. I think with the sin nature that we have within us, yeah, uh, you know, we talked about love uh, a couple of weeks ago. If I'm going to love, then I need to be prepared to lose. If we're going to keep the unity, then I need to be prepared to lose in order that we might remain unified in the way that we live. I think history is littered with a lack of harmony among humans. An old uh, Irish uh, poem says this, To live above with the saints we love, oh, how that would be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, (laughs) that's a different story. Sadly, it's true, isn't it? The very fact that Jesus prayed for unity indicates that we can't accomplish unity on our own. We're going to need some help. Folks, I don't think it would shock anybody for me to say that we are a divided nation. Yes? No? We're a divided community. We live in divided families whether that be Christian and non-Christian families or just the division of family that we have. Some of you haven't spoken to your loved ones in a long, long time. There is division within the life that we live. But the one place that God definitely doesn't want us to be divided is here in his church because there is too much at stake. The witness that we have to the world is at stake when we are not united as one body. The old devil, someone said he's not very good at mass, but he's great at long division. Ever since the garden, yeah, when he divided God and humanity, he's been creating this great divide between us and God. And he does that through dividing one another. But God wants us to be united. And that's why on the night that he was uh, going to be betrayed and crucified, this is the prayer that he prayed that we would be in unity. So the first thing he prayed for was our protection, that we would be protected. Verse 11 and 15. Holy Father, protect them. By what? By the power of your name, the name you gave me so that... They may be one as we are one. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world. Oh, how many of you want to be uh, lifted out of the world, out of your circumstances? We've talked about this before, haven't we? But that you protect them from the evil one. How do you get protection from the evil one? Verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. We know the evil one, Lucifer, the devil, Satan, but I want you to know that you are protected. Why? Because this prayer that Jesus has prayed for you is a continual prayer. You actually come under the umbrella of God's protection in the world that you live. 
But so often with our own free will we step out from under that umbrella and we decide that we don't need his protection by the way that we live. So Jesus, he recognised the power of temptation, of persecution, of opposition. He recognised it on that very night, didn't he? When Judas Iscariot was drawn away by Satan to cause a division. Preacher Billy Sunday once said this, I know the devil is real for two reasons. Number one, because the Bible says so. And number two, because I've done business with him. And I say, Amen. I'm sure if we're all honest with one another, we have all set out to do business with him at some stage or another. In 1 Peter 5 verse 8, it's a great verse, you all know it. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the evil one, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That someone is you. You can put your name in there. He is roaming around looking to devour you. You know, when a lion out in the, the African wilderness wants to sneak up on a herd, yeah, what they try to do is very quietly, very sneakily, and then they try to sort of hive one off, maybe a weaker one. They try to get one isolated in order to capture them. And so here we see that animals that stick together have a much higher survival rate. The warthog. A lion gets a meal 55% of the time. You know why? Because when they see a lion, it's every warthog for themselves. The zebra. They only get a meal 35% of the time. But the gazelle. The gazelle, apart from being uh, quick and, and flight of foot, they actually have a protection mechanism where when the others graze or, or get water, they actually have like sentries out there actually watching and protecting everybody else. And so the lion only gets a meal 11% of the time. So what can we slow humans learn from this? Very simple. There is safety in numbers. There is safety when we stick together. In Hebrews 10 verse 25, it says there, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit. You see, you see, when you, see, when you stop coming this week and you don't come next week and you don't come for a few weeks and a couple of months go by, it becomes a habit of not coming at all. Some are in the habit of doing, but, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day. What's the day? The day of Jesus Christ coming again. That day is approaching. So just as a lion attacks stragglers, the, the, the roaring lion that is Satan in the world looks to isolate you from the herd. The world has told you many, many times, you don't need to come to church to be a Christian. You can worship the Lord down at the park or at the lake or... You can do it in your own backyard. The devil tries to isolate you. And you know the number one thing that the devil uses to isolate you from the herd? You. And you. And you. And just so I don't miss anybody, you out the back there too. <laughs> How many times have you been in church and someone has said something to you? Something that's maybe not... Very nice. And the devil uses that. Simon, you missed a couple of chords up here this morning, Muddy. 
See what I've just done? He's going to take that home with him now. He's going to beat himself up. He's actually going to also say, and the pastor told everybody that I missed them. But you see, but you see that's what we do. That's what we do. You see, we injure people. You know, we say things. I mean, I've said that to Simon. I can't play a lick. And here I am up here. See what happens? And that's what we do. There are so many people in churches today that are absolutely wounded simply because of the words that you spoke into their spirit that has nothing at all to do with unity through faith in Jesus Christ. I know all about this as a pastor. You know, as a young pastor, I'd walk off the stage. I'd give my heart and soul to this thing. And I'd walk off the stage and someone would say a word that would cut me to the quick. And I would go home. I would go home despondent. I would go home disillusioned. That's why they say most pastors quit on Monday mornings. Because of the stuff that's been perpetrated upon them by the people who are supposed to love them and hold them up and value them. Just the same as I'm supposed to do with you. Because one of the great things I learnt a long, long time ago is not to really care about what other people think. <laughs> Got to build some resilience, don't you, John? Because I actually discovered that uh, generally it's the people in the cheap seats who can't do it, haven't been trained, don't have the anointing, that have a lot to say about how you do it. We've got to make sure that we don't allow other people to take our service away from the Lord. Yes, we are going to bump into people. Yes, there are going to be times when we're going to be hurt. But when that happens, we've got to make sure that we understand that this is all the attack of the enemy. Don't take it personally. There is a spiritual war going on here. And if the devil can divide us, then he has victory over us. That's his strategy all the way through. He wants to devour our unity. If he can attack our unity, the power of our message will be diminished. That's his number one mission, isn't it? A house divided cannot stand. And so Jesus prayed for our protection. You know, uh, in what we know as the Lord's Prayer, but really it was when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray in Matthew 5.13. This then is how you should pray. And lead us, not lead me, yeah? lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So it's a request that begs for divine intervention to help us so that we are not tempted to sin against God. Author uh, Oscar Wilde, he was a great author, but a, a bit of a terrible human being, really. Yeah? And he said this, I can resist everything but temptation and I think at the heart and core of that I think we all know that to be true even in our own lives sometimes otherwise the Bible wouldn't mention it one of the things about sin is that whatever we feel is going to give us what we want that is the sin that the devil will try to lure us away with so our protection then, it's twofold. Firstly, it's in the power of God's name and secondly, it's in the power of God's word. You know, uh, you've got no idea in the course of a week how many times my kids call on my name. Yeah? And you know why? Because they actually believe that I can do something about the situation for them. Yeah? 
So if you've got a heavenly father who is all powerful, let me ask you, how many times this week have you called on his name into the situation? You know, my kids, they don't get to the end of the week and say, Dad, here's a list of 27 things that we could have asked you to do, but we never did. No, no, no. When the need arises, they call. And there is protection and power that's released in the name of Jesus. Did you know there are 256 names for Jesus in the scriptures? That is a name for every and all situations and circumstances that we would ever find ourselves in. So, for your own protection, put the name of Jesus on your lips. Then next, in verse 17, there's protection from God's word. Sanctify, set apart, bless, make holy them by the truth. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Your word is truth. You see, when it comes to the Bible, out there in the world, the world will continually lie to you because the world is led by the God of this world, the devil. And he wants to. He's the father of lies. But the only truth you're going to find is in God's word. And as you actually live and grow in God's word, then you can identify the lies of the evil one and overcome and become more like Christ. You know, uh, I think everybody's probably had the experience where someone comes to you and uh, denounces the scriptures. They don't believe the truth of God's word. They've read it and they've come up with some idea that uh, they know better. Of course, that's a, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell, isn't it? You know, how can we in our own sin nature, you know, if God cannot lie and God is all truth, then there's either something wrong with God's word or there's something wrong with you. So we've got to make sure that in a world that hates us, that we stand on the truth. You know, we're living in a time where uh, people more and more and more are questioning Christianity and the truth of God's word. And we've got to come to a point where we need to make sure we're going to continue to stand. Whilst the rest of the world, where there's this cancel culture out there all the time, and when the world wants to actually cancel Christianity and the scriptures, we've got to make sure that we're still going to stand on the truth. That we're going to stand on the, the, the importance that uh, God created the world. That we're going to stand on the uh, understanding of gender and sexuality and the definition of marriage and the exclusivity of Christ. We've got to make sure we're going to stand on what the Bible believes. Because so often today what we see in churches is that we take what is cultural and we change the Bible in order to suit the culture. The culture has to always come under the authority of God's word. So, two things for our protection from the evil one. The power of the name and the power of the word. Next, Jesus prays for our proclamation. Verse 18. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We've got to make sure that we are proclaiming the message. You know, uh, years ago I did a, uh, a wedding. And uh, at the wedding, I was to say that the couple uh, would become united as one. But when I looked down at the words, the word united was actually untied. Ah! That's not a good thing to say at a wedding. You will become untied. Now, I knew what I was going to say. But when I look, and I did say united, okay? I didn't, you know, it's, uh, they're, uh, they're, I'm sure they're still happily married. 
What was the difference? One letter. One letter was out of place. The letter was I. You see, when I'm in the right place, we will be united. When you're in the right place, we'll be united as one. But when you are in the wrong place, we will become untied. So unity starts with being in the right place. And Jesus says, the right place is I have sent them into the world. Of course, remember, unity and uniformity are not the same thing. Yeah, you might remember last week. Unfortunately, I didn't take a picture. Uh, Bill Hanna and I, we had the same shirt on last week. And I embarrassed Bill like you wouldn't believe. No, I didn't, did I? Did I? I'll do it this week. <laughs> Wearing the same clothes is uniformity, yeah? And, of course, there are people in, uh, you know, our community, the armed services, there's uh, hospitals, you know, they might wear a uniform to identify, but that is not unity, is it? You know, and we find that in the church. So often in the church, you know, there's this idea that we have to do things a certain way uh, for all of us to be uh, united together in unity. You know, we all have to read the same translation of the Bible. Uh, there's only certain instruments that we're allowed to play. You know, we, we've got to have a certain colour of carpet. I've told you the story about the once that I went to the Independent Baptist Church. Oh, hello. It's always good. When they're getting older, you can just keep repeating the same old stories again. <laughs> hey. Once when Sharon and I were first married, we went to the Independent Baptist Church. Somebody had recommended it to me. They're no longer our friends. <laughs> and I went in and they're a lovely group of people. Lovely group of people. And uh, they told me that I was very welcome to come back. It was the middle of summer. Middle of summer was like 40 degrees in Adelaide. Very welcome to come back, but if you come back again, please wear a tie. Well, I never went back. You see, that's uniformity, isn't it? You know, but the great thing about the church of Jesus Christ is that there is diversity in our unity. I love the fact that we've got all sorts of different people sitting here uh, today. I love the fact that, our, uh, that our, our, our Christian culture is diverse, but we are unified we are united together under the cross of Jesus Christ. We remember that we're all washed in the same blood, yeah? That we're all going to the same heaven. So it doesn't matter, you know, I've been here 19 years and I've seen some of you go from having long hair to short hair to uh, John. <laughs> so I don't exclusively pick on one person when I'm up, I, I spread it around. But that's the great thing, isn't it? You know, uh, have a look at this picture. It says, coexist. Coexist. What message is that trying to give out into the world today? It's uh, sort of, if we go from, uh, I suppose, my uh, right to left, it begins there with uh, uh, the crescent of Islam. It moves through to the, the peace symbol. And then it goes to uh, sexual rights. Then right in the middle there, we've got the star of David. Then we've got the image of the, uh, the Wiccan or the witchcraft symbol. And then right on the very end, we've got the cross of Christ. Co 
exist. It's this idea, isn't it, that we can all be unified together around this sort of image. And yet, if you know anything about that image, it was actually designed by a Polish man. It was then stolen by a a school in America. uh, And then the copyrights have been going. There's been more... Uh, uh, a division and problems and issues with this sign than anything else. But just because you mix a sign together like that doesn't bring unity. So unity is sharing the connection that we have with Christ. Unity then is making sure that we don't give the world any mixed messages like this. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, Bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. One body, one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. You see, we don't uh, create unity. It's the Spirit that creates the unity here. We all have the Holy Spirit within us. So we can't create it, but I tell you what, we certainly can corrupt it. So Jesus doesn't want us just getting along with a few people. He wants all of the believers. You know, it's why on a Sunday morning, you know, we love to be able to pray here uh, for all of the churches that are gathering in Bendigo this morning, that the word of God, the scriptures will be proclaimed. People will be able to hear the truth and come to salvation. Because in John 20, 21, Jesus declared, As the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. He breathed on them, remember, and they received the Holy Spirit. And we know that when the day of Pentecost came, it was uh, Peter who stood up. 3,000 were baptised and saved. I always say, you know, Christianity is not for wimps. It's not for cowards. It's not for lazy people. It requires effort to be in the kingdom of God. Within the first three centuries, these guys had spread the the gospel uh, globally around the Roman Empire. And it's still the message of salvation that we need to proclaim today. So his prayer. His prayer is looking down the corridor of time. And he's speaking to the church today, at this very moment, and beyond. The purpose of our oneness is purely to accelerate evangelism. You see, when the world sees a a fractured, dysfunctional church, in effect what we do is we actually blow blow up the bridge between believers and unbelievers in the world. Because what we claim is actually denied by the way that we present ourselves. So Jesus prays for protection, he prays for the proclamation, and finally, for our praise. Verse 4, Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. How did he glorify God the Father? Uh, Yes, by dying on the cross and uh, raising to new life. And we should be able to say, shouldn't we, when we draw our last breath on this earth, God, I glorified you. Glory is an important word in the scriptures. 350 times. You know it. It it stands for a brilliant light. You know, in the temple, they talked about the Shekinah glory of God shining forth. And that's the very reason the church exists today. To be a light, shining that bright light out into the world. That God's glory might be seen. 
The Westminster Shorter Catechisms ask this question. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So that statement reminds us of what we're created for. We're created to worship God. And in the worship of God, our lives bring glory to God. And when your life brings glory to God, then there's this internal joy of Jesus that we experience. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, the Apostle Paul says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And yet I was reflecting this week thinking, how miserably do we so often fail at that? How often do we fall short? And part of that is because we don't allow the Holy Spirit within us to work through us for that glory just to shine out of us. Why? Why? The last part of verse 21 says this. This is why we've got to reveal the glory of God, so that the world may believe. That's the purpose that unifies us, yeah? The goal is the same, to bring glory to God. The world isn't impressed when we say one thing and do another. The reason unity is critical is because of the message and the mission that we have in the world. This is a world in conflict. This is a world with broken relationships. This is a world that does not have the answer. We have the answer. We have the hope of nations. Jesus Christ is still the same yesterday, today and forever. And he still has his purposes to be revealed. And that has to come through us. We shine that glory of God out into the world. And we possess the glory. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. And we're being transformed into the likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That means when I violate Christian unity, it hinders the gospel and God's reputation in the world. The mission and message to the world gets lost. Unity. Unity gives credibility to our claim about Christ. If we can't be unified, if we can't be united, if we can't be one, then why would anybody else want to join us? They've already got what we've got. It's just outside of these walls. So the practice of unity puts God's reputation on display for the world. Verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So he knows he's dying on the cross very, very shortly, and the very thing that he prays, he knows that the world is going to hate us for the message, but he wants us to be united together in that claim. And then he wants us to join him. There's going to be this great reunion if we stay faithful. Verse 24, Father, I want you to... Uh, sorry, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they may see my glory. You know, the scripture says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. We've got to keep that vision of God's glory. You know, it was the apostle John who would actually see that glory. He would be taken up to heaven and he would write the book of Revelation. And we've got to, we've got to get that, uh, that, that picture of heaven as our home. 
Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, when you speak of heaven, let your face light up with the Shekinah glory. When you speak of hell, well, your everyday face will do. (laughs) Jesus is going to be arrested in a few moments' time. He's praying for unity for his followers because he knows what is at stake in the world today. We've got to make sure that we are reflecting the glory of God. Warren Worsby, he tells a story about a small village in the mountains of Montana. There was a huge uh, snowstorm and this little girl had uh, disappeared from the family. The family called the village together and they all went searching for this little girl everywhere. But as the snow continued to fall, all of the, uh, all of the prints that she would leave were, were, were gone. After a couple of hours, someone suggested that they all join arms together and in a long chain walk up through the paddocks. And sure enough, they discovered her little frozen body. But it was too late. The father, grieving, said, if only we would have joined hands sooner. Folks, it's never too late. It's never too late for us to be united together in God's purpose. Because there's a a lesson for us in that tragic story. We've got thousands of people here in Bendigo who are lost without Jesus. And if they can see the unity of the church displayed in the bond of peace, then at least they've got some chance to receive the message, believe and be saved before it's too late. We've got to make sure that we're never a church that is frozen with formalism or wired together with organisations or roped together with programs. We've got to pray. We've got to pray that this church would be the one that melts together with the love of Jesus Christ found in the unity of the Spirit. We've got to make sure that we understand we are protected to go out into the world. We've got to make sure we understand the message that we've got to proclaim. And we've got to understand that one day, as we give glory to God, we're going to be in heaven with him praising him forever and ever and ever so we've got to make sure that it starts right now to live below with those we know that should be glory church we've only got one mission we've only got one message and it's only possible by being one why don't you stand with me as the worship team comes